What's going on and welcome into Game Week here on the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Sowers and joined as always by my co-host Jim Eikenoffer of Pelicans.com. Two days away from the Pelicans opener in Tampa Bay, which seems weird to say, but they will take on the Toronto Raptors on Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. To help us get a national perspective on what the Pelicans stack up or where they stack up in the Western Conference, we welcome in Jared Greenberg, Turner Sports NBA reporter and host. Of course, the NBA tips off the NBA season Tomorrow with a monster doubleheader, Warriors and Nets and Lakers and Clippers with coverage beginning at 4 Central. And then the Pelicans will take on the Suns on TNT Tuesday, December 29th at 9 p.m. Central time. With all that being said, Jared, how are you? Good to talk to you. Doing well, fellas. Daniel, Jim, appreciate you guys having me on. It's always uh, great to check in with you. And I think with the Pelicans, it's a pretty exciting year ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of want to get into it right now with the Pelicans. Uh, For the second straight year, kind of some new pieces that are going to fit into this Pelicans roster. Last year, it was the players that were acquired in the Anthony Davis trade. This year, it was a big four-team trade that sent Drew Holiday to the Bucks, and the Pelicans were able to acquire Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams. So overall, what do you think of the makeup of this New Orleans Pelicans team? Well, first, I I want to start by taking a shot at uh, the executive vice president of the Pelicans, (laughs) David Griffin, for once again depleting our Turner Sports roster by taking away another valuable piece of our staff uh, and making us weaker at the cost of making the Pelicans stronger and ripping Stan Van Gundy away from us a year after Griff left us stranded um, at the altar. It's it's like, you know, is, is he just scouting Turner Sports? Is that all Griff does these days? Is he just scout Turner Sports? Who's next? I, I think that's it. I think he, we have so many broadcasts on Turner Sports now. He's just looking for, for the next piece of his puzzle. <laughs> yeah, no question. Um, <laughs> but but I guess Griff did some other things too, I guess, uh, yeah. this offseason. You know, I, I think I, I, I really like the tack that, that Griff has taken here. In It seems as if two things were happening simultaneous. And for the longest time, it felt like in the NBA – teams were incapable of doing both of these t- these things at the same time. Finding assets for the future that can help you in the future while still trying to be competitive in the now. And, and what I mean by that is oftentimes I think organizations send the wrong message to their young players when they just acquire future assets, whether it be first round picks or salary cap space or things of that nature, and it almost signals to the organization and the fan base, well, listen, it's okay if we lose now because we've got things down the road that we're planning for. And I think that's the worst message you could send an organization because cap space and future first-round picks have never won a single game, let alone a playoff series or a championship in the NBA. So while Griff did that in part, he also sent a message that we're getting these pieces in Eric Bledsoe in Steven Adams, in some of these other uh, veterans that he brought in that are saying, and of course, you know, the promise of, of, of signing back Brandon Ingram and, and hopefully a, a healthy uh, Zion Williamson, that we're here to compete now. The expectation, I think, for the Pelicans is we're trying to make the playoffs this year. And whether that's realistic or not from the outside looking in, I don't know. But internally, the goal here is, yes, we've got all these things down the road that are going to make us good, but we want it to be sustainable. We want sustained success uh, for and starting now, right? Not starting in two years, three years, or four years, which I think 
I think it is, it's really hard to do, but I think it's the right way to build an organization because you're holding yourselves accountable. A lot of these organizations around the NBA have, have had these future plans, which never allow management or ownership to be held accountable by the fan base. And by some of the moves that have been made, yes, there's a future plan, but it's also, okay, we, we've got to start today. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point as far as just being able to do both of those things. I mean, there, there are teams that you said that it does seem like an, it's kind of like an alibi or an excuse to say, you know, hey, we're trying to not win games this year. So no matter how yeah. poorly you do, um, you're able to say that. Um, I was wondering, as far as Stan Van Gundy goes, um, you know, his time at Turner. By the way, uh, we might have an offer for you to come on board at some point during after this podcast with rating Turner's talent. But we'll have to have that conversation afterwards. Griff knows he better pay. Griff knows he's got to pay up. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but it, can you can, it, can you kind of describe what uh, Stan Van Gundy was like as far as his time at Turner? Um, one of the things that we've heard about from the players a lot is um, just his attention to detail and his preparation level. What were, what were some of the things that kind of stood out to you about him while he was there? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to try and make this as uh, concise as possible because I, I could go on speaking for hours about how much I enjoyed working specifically on the the Tuesday, the new Tuesday night package that I worked with him on very closely throughout the course of the season. And then, in the bubble, uh, getting to do a lot of games with him there too. Two things stand out about about Coach Van Gundy. Number one, how relatable he is, and and how human he is. You know, I think he gets this rap of this guy who yells on the sidelines or who is hard on his players. But the first thing I found when, when I truly listen, I covered him when he you know was the coach of the Magic and when he was coach of the president of the of the Pistons, but. You know, this was the first time I truly got to know him, how relatable he was. Like, he would ask you about your family. You learned about his family. You learned how important that stuff is. You obviously learned how knowledgeable he is um, on more than just basketball and how important being wise to the world is. And then the other thing from a basketball standpoint is I've, I've never, ever, ever, without question, seen someone more prepared to go to work each and every time we would go to work. Um, I'll tell you an interesting story here. You know, Stan would find out a couple of days before a broadcast, maybe, maybe the producer would send out a note to everybody who was involved in the broadcast. And then Stan would send out to everybody from, you know, whether it was Iron Eagle and me working with them all the way to the producer, the director, the PAs that are on the broadcast, he would send this email that literally took you an hour to read with everything you needed to know about the two teams we were about to broadcast. He would do such a deep dive and he would be, he became so smart too at like, all right, well, I'm going to give you all this information, but here's what the fans probably want to hear. Here's what the viewers probably want to hear about. And we don't need to get necessarily all these numbers, but maybe this number is really important. Maybe this number helps explain this. And he just was so quick to catch on. And he was so at first concerned with, with being good that he would ask so many questions and, and he would, you know, 
tip, a lot of times, and I hate to say this, but a lot of times people in his position come in and they think, listen, I've got, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of experience. I know the game inside and out. I don't need to prepare. I don't need to share my information with you. I don't need to talk to people. This dude was the most prepared person I've ever worked with. And I think that that was him staying ready, not, not, not only trying to be great as a broadcaster, because I think he truly was. And, and I don't necessarily, listen, I think he always wanted to return to coaching, but he was one of those who was not doing this to get back into coaching. He was doing this to be great. And I also think it kept him fresh for all of the scouting and preparing and planning he would be doing when he returned to coaching. But it was like these emails we would get from him, man. Like we all used to joke about him. But now we're gonna now we're gonna miss him because who's gonna do all of our work for us if it's not for coach? <laughs> yeah, that that's great. I mean, the the players have mentioned this a bunch as far as just the detail that he goes in about everything. And I forget which player it was. I don't want to throw him under the bus. Recently said that if you basically that if you if he talks about something and you're supposed to execute it in practice and you don't do it right, he might spend the next 45 minutes just talking about that specific detail. So that is really impressive about him and interesting. Um, I actually, just to plug something I did myself recently, I just did a long feature about him and uh, talked to, I think a lot of people know about how he's really informed on a lot of different subjects and that kind of thing. Um, How would you describe his personality? I think one of the things that people hit on a lot, the various people I interviewed, I interviewed his dad, I interviewed a guy he went to college with who he's known for a long time was just that he's a, just a down to earth guy that he's a really yeah. humble guy. I mean, what, what would you, how would you describe, you know, just what it's like to interact with him on a, on a daily basis, on a regular basis? Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail there on the head. Um, you know, people think of his intensity as I mentioned earlier, but I think that intensity is also translated to passion. And I think, um, you know, he, he really is a down-to-earth guy. Like, I remember, you know, one night um, after a game in Philadelphia we did uh, this year, you know, really cool game that we did, really important game. I think it was right before the All-Star break against the Clippers. And him and I just went to go grab a bite to eat after the game, just in the hotel lounge area. And, you know, wasn't talking basketball. It was just talking about his family and, uh, you know, he would share stories with me about how much his son actually enjoyed watching NBA TV separate from, you know, when his dad was on. Um, and, and I just, you know, I think, I think it's cool. You know, that he, he just, there's a desire in him. I think, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but there's just a desire in him to get to know people and to be great at, at what he's doing and whether that's a building relationship with you or whatever it may be. Um, I felt really honored, you know, and I, to work with him. And I, I think, I think from his standpoint, you know, and I, I think he said this or referenced it at least like he was trying to learn from people who had been doing this for a long time and he was there as a student and he didn't necessarily want to mess it up. But I, I think the, uh, the inverse actually ended up happening. We, we learned a lot about the game of basketball, how to, you know, build and maintain relationships. And you just got to meet a really cool guy and just a, an awesome guy. So, you know, I'm really thankful for the short time we had here. I, I, I'm a little mad that he was so good at what he did. Maybe that helped <laughs> get the job interview and that ultimately get the job. But uh, he's he's sorely going to be missed. But I'm glad he's – listen, um, as, as great of a broadcaster as he as he was, and I'm sure at some point he'll return to it. I hope he does. Uh, hopefully not – you know, hopefully a long time from now. But but 
his his you know his calling is in coaching, and that that's where he needs to be. I know we can go on about Stan Van Gundy for hours, but uh, we will want to change gears here just to the Pelicans in general. And you talked about it as far as where they may stack up in the Western Conference. And just like it has been for the last few years, the Western Conference is just as tough as it was last year. And you have teams like the Phoenix Suns who made the moves that they did. Um, who knows what's going to happen with the Houston Rockets, but still the Golden State Warriors getting back to where they are, certainly a team that you have to think about. But when you look at this Pelicans roster, and look at the makeup of it with the, the mix of the veterans and the young talent that they have. Um, as of right now, where do you think they stack up in this Western Conference as far as, you know, contending for at least a playoff spot? I keep on going back and forth on, on all these teams. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with you a little bit. I think the West is tougher this year than it, than it has been ever. Um, I, I know, you know, and, and the reason I say that is because 1 through 15, how deep it is. You know, I, in, in my, in my opinion, I, I think that there's probably two teams that I can safely say won't have a chance in the playoffs. And, and we got to be careful with our wording this year, right? Because of the new system where sure the top eight make the playoffs, but nine and 10 are going to have a chance to get into the playoffs in a play in tournament. So for a team like the Pelicans, obviously they want to make the top eight, they want to make the top, you know, six. So they avoid that, but, it wouldn't be a terrible situation if the Pelicans are nine and 10 and playing in those, uh, those days between the regular season and the playoffs start to, to play into the tournament. I think that would be a great situation for them too. Um, so I, I think, you know, the West is ridiculous and especially this year with how strange the schedule is going to be. I, I, I keep on wavering on where I have the Pelicans. I think ultimately what I'm going to do uh, and I'm going to tweet out in the next couple of days here, my, my top 10 in each conference. I think I'm going to put the Pelicans in, in one of those spots, nine or 10 with a chance to, to, to play in, in that play in tournament. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they were eight. And quite frankly, it, it wouldn't shock me if they were 11. I think that, um, you know, we, we usually in an 82 game season, we know kind of what the barometer or, or what the bottom line is. For, for where you need to be to make the playoffs, we think, you know, and up until last year, you know, it was, you had to be above 500 um, and, and, you know, be around that 41, 42 win mark at the, at the minimum, right? Like that was it. Um, now with 72 games, the win total come down. You've got a different type of schedule. You've got a, you know, who knows how many games are going to be missed in the first half of the season and have to be made up or will they be made up in the second half of the season? Will teams, will every team play 72 games? I don't know. Um, so I think ultimately it's not only going to come down to the Pelicans, but the Suns, the Kings, um, you know, the, how the Warriors play, uh, what happens with the Rockets. You know, there, there are so many factors here that, you know, you just get the first half of the season is going to be so crucial. Get out to a good start uh, and feel good about yourselves because every, every, you know, every time we move it, we advance a day, you don't know whether a game is going to get canceled or you don't know whether somebody's going to get traded, or you just don't know what's going to happen to the second half of the season. Jared, what did you? What was your initial reaction to the announcement of the play-in format? Obviously, they had one last season, but this is um, a different setup. And and what impact do you think that might have on the regular season, as far as just the interest level and just how entertaining that could end up being? Yeah, from an entertainment standpoint, I love it. And being in the bubble and being a part of that play-in tournament. Uh, this past year with Memphis and Portland, I thought was fantastic. 
Um, I, I think it's good. I think, you know, it allows for some things to happen. It allows for a team to bounce back from a rough first half start to the season. It allows the team to recover from an injury. Um, but what scares me about it, truthfully, is what's going to happen, kind of like we had last year in the East, if teams 9 and or 10 are so far behind 8 and 7. Mm-hmm. Is that necessary? You know, But I, I think ultimately what I like about it is that it's giving us a bit of a sample of something that I think is coming down the road. I think it's inevitable. Adam Silver's talked about it for years, is that he wants some sort of tournament. Um, and in what form, I don't know. I think, you know, the soccer model is what they want, but that's really tough to get American basketball fans to understand that and to buy into it if there's no history behind it. Um, but I like I like where we're going. And, and I think what I love about the NBA and what we're showing is that, listen, just because we've done things for 74 seasons doesn't mean we have to copy and paste that and repeat that for year 75. We can do things differently, especially when living in this a global pandemic. Like, let's this is the time to try things. And if it yeah. fails, if it fails, it fails. If it's great, then we build on it and we move forward. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. I mean, you bring up a great point as far as if there's a big discrepancy in the standings between eighth and ninth place and so forth. Does the the ninth and tenth place teams do they deserve to have a chance to extend their season? But I think one of the things that's interesting along the lines of what you just said too is maybe the nba looks at this as you know we'll see how it goes in the first year or two and then we yeah. maybe we can make adjustments but i think for the first year one of the things i've talked to about talked about with certain people about that whole issue that you just brought up is i think the first year they want to make sure even for your guys purposes and tv that they have those games that there isn't a situation where okay here's the we're going to introduce the play-in format this year but oh no one qualified so it's not happening so I think at least for this first year, I think a lot of people will be are okay with the idea that okay, even if the tenth place team is twenty, you know, twenty five and forty seven, that will they, they'll still do it, and maybe we can adjust and tweak that later down the road. So I, I do think that's a that's an interesting point. So, but um, one of the things I wanted to ask you too, you know, I know you have a you host a crunch time show on NBA TV that a lot of people love, and it's the kind of thing where people can check in on games and see how different teams are doing. And you guys cut to some of the best games um, that are going on that night. But um, where do you have, if you were to make kind of NBA league pass rankings um, and I, and I know the Pelicans are up there as a team that people want to see you guys cut into sometimes, but where would you put the Pelicans as far as the, you know, the entertainment value that they provide? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great question. We, we kind of, adopt throughout the course of a season crunch time teams and it's nothing we do intentionally or on purpose or we have any control over it's just teams that tend to be exciting and on crunch time as you mentioned what we pride ourselves on doing is if you're watching us we're going to give you the pulse of the nba that particular night we try and bring you the biggest moments tonight as they're happening live right quick snippets of each game kind of like the red zone version of of uh you know what we do in the nba what they do in the nfl um, Pelicans without a, without question are going to be one of those teams. Just seeing, you know, Zion on the floor. Is he healthy? Is he in shape? Is he competing late in games? They say no minutes restriction. Will there be a minutes restriction, right? Like all those types of things. And 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 all the other players too uh, on the Pelicans that, that are so exciting. There's no question there'll be one. 
um, a team that, that the Pelicans probably are going to be competing with for one of those playoff spots is the Memphis Grizzlies, right? You guys know about them pretty well. Uh, John Morant, how exciting he is, how they have a tendency to not get blown out in games. They may not win every game, but how, how they compete late in games. Um, you know, obviously we look for star power, which is why we love guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram and John Moran. So anytime Dallas is playing, what's Luca doing? And, and, you know, the Luca magic that he brings uh, to the court, there's no question about that. Um, in the Eastern conference, a couple of teams, one, the Brooklyn Nets, we, we on crunch time always liked the Brooklyn Nets because they, they love to blow big leads, but then get back into the game and in the last minute of the game making competitive. So it's compelling, dramatic television to watch. And then this year you throw in Kevin Durant, who has looked sensational so far in preseason and Kyrie Irving. Um, and then, you know, the Atlanta Hawks too, I think are wildly fascinating because um, they were in this rebuild mode for a while. And then all of a sudden they dipped their toe and jumped in afterwards to the free agent pool and got themselves some pretty nice uh, acquisitions this offseason. In addition to Trey Young, who has, you know, excelled and exceeded all expectations that I had on him for his NBA career. So, you know, they're an exciting team. So, I mean, there's a lot of good, really exciting teams. The, the stars we love to track, but we love, the uh, you know, the underdog story of, of a team upsetting somebody or a guy coming out of nowhere like last year. You know, Devontae Graham, we were all over him before anybody was, was watching Devontae Graham, you know, because he was hitting all these big shots and, and having these massive moments early in the season that we were tracking on crunch time. So, you know, we, we like to find all sorts of different types of stories that, that are happening um, Wednesdays and Fridays on in the NBA. Jared, you mentioned exciting teams. You mentioned a lot of those on League Pass, but, uh, you know, tomorrow night's doubleheader, Warriors, Nets, Clippers, Lakers, um, four teams that could easily be up there as far as contention, you know, potentially for the NBA Finals. Not sure how the Warriors without Klay Thompson can go into that mix, but before I let you go, um, do you have a few teams that you think are going to be up there for the, the chance to compete for the NBA Finals? How many teams do you kind of have in that Tier 1, you know, between Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, maybe, maybe Celtics, Sixers? I mean, where do your tiers – kind of rank uh, as far as those teams competing for a championship yeah i i think i'm going to pay the lakers a lot more respect right now than i did a year ago at this time when i just didn't think the lakers would come together i couldn't believe there was no drama that got out last year um they avoided injuries for for the most part um so i'm going to put the lakers in their own category especially with the offseason they had i think that they are they are tier one um and then following them, you know, and, and this is so hard to do because I think what we have to learn and we forget about it each year and we have to remind ourselves that there is such a difference in the NBA between really good regular season teams and how you perform in the playoffs, right? And, and I listen, when I go through and I do my own rankings, I, I have to think about the regular season first because you've got to get through that. And I think for a lot of these teams like the Pelicans, you've got to learn how to win in the regular season before you can learn how to win in the playoffs. Um, but on that next tier after the Lakers, you know, I've got the Clippers, um, even though they were greatly a huge disappointment last year, I've got the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and then, you know, I think you've got on that next level, uh, you've got a whole bunch of teams in the East, the unknown of the Nets, the unknown of the Sixers, the unknown of the Celtics with their injuries, um, you know, Miami, the Miami Heat, who were in the NBA Finals last year, may, were they a product of the environment last year, or are they truly a team that for the next couple of years has currently comprised going to compete for, 
an NBA championship. Um, you certainly have the Denver Nuggets, who I think I mentioned. Um, you know, where is Dallas? Where is uh, some of these other teams? I, I think this year, what I'm, what I'm really excited about for this year is what I was looking forward to going into the playoffs last year before the shutdown was the unpredictability of the season. Um, I think that we can have so many different teams win a championship. I think we can see the start of a dynasty in a couple of different places, right? If the Lakers win another one, they're on their way to, you know, trying to be the next dynasty. Can the Nets start one? What's going on in Philadelphia? What's going on with the Clippers? You know, all of these questions will be answered during this 72-game sprint to the playoffs. It's definitely going to be exciting. We're looking forward to to starting it off tomorrow night with uh, Lakers and Clippers and, of course, Warriors and Nets coverage beginning at 4 p.m. Central time. You'll see Jared Greenberg on a, on a bunch of things on Turner Sports as an NBA reporter and host. Of course, crunch time Wednesdays and Fridays. And I have a feeling this Wednesday will be a little busier with most teams opening up yeah. on Wednesday night. And, of course, the Pelicans will be on TNT next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Central. Jared, this was a blast. Uh, I'm sure this is not the last time we'll talk to you throughout the season. Um, good stuff. Stay safe throughout this, and we'll Thank talk you. to you soon. Appreciate you guys always having me on. I enjoy your work as well, and I hope to speak to you soon. Happy holidays to you and everybody listening. All right, you too. All right, great stuff there from Jared Greenberg. Great start to our, I guess, regular season tip-off here. Pelicans on Wednesday will tip off against the Toronto Raptors 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. in Tampa Bay. Again, weird to say that, but that's where Tampa, or that's where Toronto will be uh, throughout the regular season. We will have a game day preview of the Pelicans podcast. A little different. We'll have Mark Spears on from ESPN's The Undefeated. Uh, he has a piece coming out on Thursday about head coach Stan Van Gundy. So we're going to talk to him about that. And, of course, uh, have him preview the season as well and talk about the Pelicans and where they stack up in the Western Conference. Big thanks to Jared. Big thanks to Jim Eikenoff for Pelicans.com. And until Wednesday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CQ.